If you're just joining us, we're on a series called One Another. It's a, it's a series dealing with Christian community and engaging in Christian community. But I, I you know, review my notes, I, I didn't realize man, how strong I feel about this particular truth and how many, you know, every pastor's got some pet peeves that just kind of rest in him. I mean, they just, these things that smolder all the time. And occasionally, they're under control a lot, but sometimes there's a series that just lets them all out. And what you're getting, you're getting them all, you're getting some of my deepest, deepest burdens and concerns and convictions, especially on how you and I become like Jesus. I mean, this has got to be the passion of our heart, that I and you pursue to become like Jesus. And the premise of this particular series is this, that engaging in relational community, engaging that, we're calling it relational community, not just a high five, but we're getting a relationship, is not an option for a follower of Jesus. Now, we've talked about all the bennies and the perks and the blessings of being involved in, in, in Christian community, but there's also there's a, there's a great challenge that takes place in uh, engaging in community. And this particular route of becoming mature in Christ, and becoming like Jesus in the context of relationships is challenging for all of us because it takes work. It's not going to happen naturally. I've led teams on short-term missions. I've led teams of leaders. I've led teams of volunteers. I've, I've led I don't know how many different type of community groups, small groups, cell groups, and been involved in group situations. And I have been in ministry for years and years and years, more than I want to say. And I'm going to just say this. You get a bunch of Christians together, and what you got, you got work. Get a bunch of Christians together, you got a lot of pain. You got things that get surfaced. You got, you got things that are very, very confrontive in your life and things you want to confront in others' lives. It's just a, not a natural thing. Now, I love to cook. It's one of my little stress releasers. My wife doesn't always let me cook, but I like to cook, and I like to experiment with spices, and I just, I don't look at, a, I hate cookbooks, you know, you know, one-eighth cup, you know, one-fourth teaspoon. I don't know how to do that. I just, I just, and sometimes it comes out great, and sometimes no, and, uh, and sometimes, no, we want to do that. We just kind of want to find our own way to make this happen quickly. And it's not that way. It's going to require something from you and something from me. And it'll involve some pain. and It'll involve some work. and It'll involve some confrontation. You know, if you want to get smarter, how many people would like to be a little bit smarter? I like to be a little smarter. Isaac Newton. Remember Isaac Newton? He had the gravity guy. He said this, the difference between a genius and a non-genius is patience. Now, what was he saying? That means that you can read a little bit more, study a little bit more, dig a little bit more, plus time, plus digging and reading and studying, plus time. You'll actually increase your intelligence. And so if I want to kind of increase my brain capacity, i got to stretch my brain. i got to read some disciplines that are not my number one discipline. Now, you know I'm a history geek. So if I just went to history all the time, history all the time, I got a lopsided head, okay? I, I might be smart over here, but I'm really lacking over here. If I want to increase my intelligence, I got to stretch myself in different disciplines. Here a few years back, I, I bought a book called Economics for Dummies. 
Okay, I know you know the dummies books, but those dummy books are really good. I learned a lot about just the basics of, I'm talking about micro and macro economics. There's a fancy term. I know what those things mean. Okay, and uh, I had to stretch myself. I wanted to learn more about, I was tired about all these analysts telling us why the market went up and why the market went down and how do they know that? What information do they have that I don't have that they can say that? And what are they saying? It's a whole vocabulary that I need to understand. Now, I'm hanging out with all my buddies here in the church and everyone thinks they know about economics, but I think we all could stretch ourselves a little bit. Sciences. You know, I'm reading a, a book called uh, Darwin's Doubts. It's a light book. It's about that thick, Okay. And you read about a paragraph a night just to put yourself to sleep. But uh, you stretch yourself. If you want to get in shape, well, I want to get in shape. I really want to lose weight. I want to get physically fit. Don't go to the infra commercials. Don't, don't find some little band on a machine that rubs your, <laughs> your stomach like all of a sudden you get this nice V. Okay, it ain't going to happen. Don't, you can't come from a pill. It's not going to come from a milkshake. Okay, what you got to do, you got to do the big three. You got to lift weights, you got to do strength training, rubber bands, resistance. You got to do cardio, you got to breathe hard, and you got to do mobility. You got to learn how to stretch your ligaments and your tendons. And then you find a diet of nutrition, find it, and stick to it for a year. A year? Yeah, no, I want the 12-week transformation. I want the six weeks with the pill. You know, I lost seven pounds my first week. You did. You lost all your water weight. Congratulations. The fat's still there. Okay, you're going to have to work to get to where you are. But somehow when it becomes like, I want to become like Jesus, they're just all of a sudden, now I, 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 want, I, I don't want to work at it. I just want it to kind of like happen. Well, how am I going to become like Jesus? Well, I think a good place to start is to start with his teachings. Go to the Word. Okay, Jesus says, anybody hears my teachings and does them, I'll liken them to a man or woman who builds his life on a foundation of a rock. Storms of life are going to hit them, but they're not going to bend. There's going to be character because they follow my teachings. Be perfect. That's a nice one. Even as my Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, he didn't say just excuse yourself away. I want you to be completely committed to the righteous standard of God, even as your Father is completely committed to the righteous standards that reflect his nature. I want you to become like him. And so if I, I got to read the word, then I got to say, well, how am I going to apply this? I mean, someone came up and said, well, I got a real great verse out of devotions today. And that's wonderful. Now, what are you going to do to put it to practice? Set a plan in place. And that plan has to involve how I apply it when I engage in relationships with people. No, no, I just want to apply it with my dog. No, your dog loves you. It's one thing about dog... They're not smart enough to know your faults. Okay, there's, I love my dog. That's good. But you got to go to humans. You got you to apply that in relationship with other human beings. And that's, of course, that's the great challenge. Then I got to pray for God to help me do that. And then once I get engaged with them and serve them and love them and start carrying their burdens, I find myself starting to pray for them along with myself. I'm not just thinking about myself, I'm thinking about them. All of a sudden, you're starting to become like Jesus, but you can't circumnavigate around that. You've got to go through it. Now, just that word of balance when I'm talking about community relationships. I'm not talking about form, I'm talking about heart. And so in your community book, I was going to grab one to bring up here, but man, my mind's just all over the place today. My a community book, there's a number of ways you can connect in community with this church. You say, well, my schedule, I can't get to a community group. 
but you could get to, if you're a woman, to women mentoring women. You could be, if you're a man, you can get to men's huddle. You can, if you, you can get involved in the youth. Yes, you're just always there, Aaron. You're just like Jesus. You really are. That's so good. You just had that in your back pocket, didn't you? Wow. Thank you. This is this book. You can get involved in, you get there's small group Bible studies. You might meet a group at six in the morning. And we were trying for so many years to have house churches in neighborhoods and houses. And of course, everyone kind of gave up having it in their house. They got burned out. And we're trying to curb that, that, that wound that people in, in, you know, incurred through our house church system. I mean, we, Sue and I went through like, have gone through four or five refrigerators alone in our house since we've lived there. I mean, it's, it's because of use, okay? My icebreakers are all, my icebreakers are always done in six months. I mean, this thing won't work. People jamming it out and stuff, and there goes my refrigerator. But uh, we, we're trying to find it. It's, it's connecting with people. It might be at Starbucks at 6 a.m. It might be at Black Rock at 9 at night. It might be, you know, we have to, in the, we've had one in the gym. Guys got done working out, and they just kind of get in a circle, and they just start talking to each other about their life. They're connecting in a community group, they're, they're connecting in some form with another believer where they're encouraging them and they're receiving from them. And of course, this is what we're talking about, that you just don't carry your own burden. The Bible says carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we're dealing with heart here. We're not dealing with form. Now, what are the signs that I'm engaging in relational community with other believers? Well, one... What are you spending your time with? Are you spending time with other believers more than a birthday party? We talked about the cycles of life or a wedding. Love them all. Anniversary party. Love them all. Come on, Jesus went to weddings. It's all great. But beyond that, a little bit deeper than that, am I thinking about these other people? Am I carrying their burden? Am I fighting their fight? Am I walking in their shoes? Am I bearing their pain? Because it involves that. And is my prayer life about them? About them? Or is my prayer life only about myself? Am I being challenged? One of the things that happens when you get together with people and you get involved with people, your thinking is going to get challenged. My thinking gets challenged all the time. Someone's going to say a one-liner. It's going to get you to think. Or I don't know if I follow that thought all the way. My niece called me out on something in Peru. You know, you're making a generalization. Of course, I but I've been playing it over and over and over and over and over again see when you get close to people they're not going to be overly impressed with you I need to say no more now let's look at our exhortation I got a beautiful exhortation today and on dealing with community as a believer in Christ today. Out of Galatians 5, 13 and 26, you may think, well, I thought that was about the Holy Spirit and not walking under the law, but walking under the leading of the Holy Spirit. It is. Let's just see what that looks like. So here we are. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, as a believer, and Paul's big in the book of Galatians, we are emancipated on our justi- from, from our justification being on the basis of law. I am, I, am, I am saved from the law, but I'm not lawless. I, I am bound to a new law. My new law is I'm bound to a law of love. 
not to a, a law of just me flaunting that I could drink a brutski or I could do a yoga class. We're talking about, we're talking about I am now committed to love other people. And that's what the law is that I'm bound to, the law of Christ, to start loving. And then, of course, Paul said that, that all of the law is fulfilled in this one commandment. He said this in Romans 13, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, all you have to do, you know, what do I got to do? You got to love your neighbor to the degree that you love yourself. Now, I, I get ready for church. I start looking at my nose hairs, my ear hairs, you know, comb my hair, what looks best up here so I don't look too fat when I preach. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at all this. And I take some good care of myself on Sunday mornings. Do I take care of people the same degree? Am I concentrating on them the same way? We don't have a problem loving ourselves. I'm not loving myself right now. You love yourself quite well. It's now moving out of that to love other people. And so we're now bound to the law of love. For the whole law, he goes on to say, can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. However, however, if you continually, this is good. I got a reverse here. I'm going to go to a scripture here, and then I'm going to go back to a scripture. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Let's talk about the works of the flesh. We seem to know these well. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery. And I'm going to stop right there. Okay, we know there's a battle going on between the flesh and, and the Spirit. There's a battle going on inside of me and a battle going inside of you between flesh and spirit. And Paul is beginning to name what it is for me to live by my own impulses, my own fallen nature impulses. The first ones I lead off are dealing with two things, with sexual immorality and occult-type activity. Okay, so usually that's the big ones. When we say I'm no longer playing with my Ouija board and I quit fornicating, I am now sanctified. Okay, I have arrived. But Paul doesn't stop this list of the flesh right there. He goes on. Let's go on to some other things here. He goes on to say hostilities. Oh, oh, well, that's a little bit different. Strife. Oh, oh, that's different. Jealousy. I, I don't wrestle with that. <laughs> we were in Peru. We went to this house. I mean, it was a house of house. It was Sunset Magazine house. I mean, it was one of those houses like 4,000 square feet next to a mountain, all glass, modern woodwork. It was, I mean, swimming pool in the backyard. It was, it was state-of-the-art. It would be like a $1.5 million home in Vancouver. And you're, Sue and I are just amazed. We're having dinner at this house, and the couple that are in the house just a few months before, a little one-bedroom apartment. And what happened, the believers sharing, when we needed a new place to stay. My boss came to me and says, you know what? We got this house, and you can have it for three years free. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm so, so happy for you. I don't get it. I don't get it. How come Jesus doesn't love me that much? All right. Here, here's another one. Outbursts of anger. Selfish rivalries dissensions, or we could put it in modern vernacular, church splits, factions, I'm of this, I'm of that, I'm of this camp, factions, 
envying. I love this one, murder. Well, Christians don't murder. Oh, they do a lot of, of murdering. A lot of times with their words, if you follow the teachings of Jesus. Drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. Notice that a lot of the manifestations of the flesh have nothing to do with sex or Ouija boards. They have to do with the way we treat each other. In the body of Christ, in relationship, as we do life together. Rivalries and competition and jealousy, outbursts of anger, all those things are serious issues. Well, they're not those serious. We have, we have major sins, fornication. I have a statue in my bedroom that I worship. Okay, those are serious sins. But my jealousy and my competition and my anger at the body of Christ and people, that's, those, those, these are like moral sins, using Catholic terminology, and these are venial sins. Now, some of my ex-Catholic buddies here will know what that means. That means this is like it cost you your, your salvation, but this is okay to hang around with kind of a thing. Well, let's go with what Paul had to say about this. He says, I'm warning you, as I have warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I want to go back. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ, and I love this, I love this, those who belong to Christ. How many here feel like you belong to Christ? All right, good. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I love that. Notice that God didn't crucify those passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ have crucified hostility, have crucified jealousy, have crucified anger, have crucified bad words, have in the sense of destroying other people, have crucified greed, have crucified insensitivity. Okay, I have crucified, and what I love about community is it gives me this wonderful opportunity to crucify my desires and my passions. That's what I love about this, is I got the opportunity to go to work on this. And then he goes on to say, if we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. It's interesting to me that Paul says the life of being led and influenced by the Holy Spirit is a life by which the way I treat other people with forgiveness and gentleness and patience, and love, sacrifice, and commitment, that that is what true spirituality is. So, looking at this, I cannot become like Jesus without being engaged in community relationships. This is a deep conviction of my wife and I over the years, and I'm not here to flaunt maybe we're, we're, we're doing well or we, we have been committed to in, in a particular truth as if we're morally superior, but we've been, we have tried to live out this commitment. We've had probably, not that you have to do this, I'm just in the way it has worked out for us. We probably have had one time that we had a dinner here last year. We 
we counted 45 non-family members who have lived with us. 45. Well, why is that? Because I was ministering to them and there was no place for them to go. There was no hotel and there was no family support and there was just nothing there. And of course, I can't live with myself if I know that I'm sleeping in a warm bed and someone's out in the streets. There's people who are in trouble and needed absolute support and we were just kind of there and, and we did that. I'll just let you know that we have personally given thousands of dollars to people to sustain them without a tax write-off. I mean, maybe, Bob, you're losing your reward. Maybe I am, but I want to put a point here that we have been committed to this particular truth, not because it came naturally. It did not come naturally. It was stressful, but it came out of conviction. You got your own way. You need to work through this, but we knew that we were bound to the body of Christ, and we couldn't go around it. And to me, this is true spirituality. Now, my concern is this in the body of Christ. I'm going to get down to this. That we plaster over sometimes our disobedience to the mandate of community by using psychological phrases or spiritual phrases to mask, to mask our disobedience to this mandate. So I want to talk about seven things we do to plaster over our disobedience to New Testament community mandates. Okay, this is all of a sudden we got really quiet. First, we claim spirituality through subjective experiences. So maybe I went to a conference or retreat, some place where God's moving, or Jesus came to me in a vision or something while I was while I was you know praying and I had this encounter. And I am not in any way here saying that those things are not legit. My point is this. If those things are legit, they're going to be transferable. And if they're not transferable, they were not legit. Or they're disobedience to what Jesus revealed to you. Or we use deep spiritual sounding phrases to describe what God is doing in us. Years ago, there was a young man who was the brother of one of my assistants uh, when I was a youth pastor who was in deep trouble in life. This kid was, um, call him a kid, he was in his mid-twenties, handsome, probably like 6'2", six 6'3", six blonde hair. He would, women would swoon in his presence. And he was a horrible womanizer and grossly selfish. Had ripped people off thousands of dollars and had manipulated and hurt many women. And my associate was in a crisis, and Bob, can you and Sue help? And so we took this young man in. His life was a complete mess. And I'm not saying at all that I had anything doing and turning him around, because we really didn't turn him around. You know, the collision came when I finally was fed up with his Christian phraseologies backed by a life of radical disobedience. So it would be nothing to me talking with him late at night, you know, God's just doing this deep work in me, and he's showing me this. And I'm just thinking, you know what, your issue is you just need to obey God. Like, quit stealing. Let's just, let's just start there. Quit using people. Quit wiping people out. I mean, he had done so many things. He had the cops searching my house. I mean, it was just a nightmare having him in my house. But could he talk Bible? He put Jesus of Nazareth on and weeping, oh, Jesus, God, love it for me. Obey him. Just obey him. Finally, I was ready to kill him because he was out all night chasing women. 
because I don't have outbursts of anger or hostility in my heart. I am free from these things as I am led by the Spirit. Found him on a Sunday morning, showed up at Bible Temple, and I just, I may be short, but I can be intense, okay, and I just chewed him out. And uh, he ended up leaving because he was going, he was getting, catching an airplane somewhere, and he went back to the house. My wife was coming to the second service, and she doesn't know anything about this encounter I had where I basically chewed him out for being out all night chasing women. And he got there, and Sue, being the gracious person that she is, she cooked him breakfast, because that's what she does. If you come into my house, my wife just cooks for you. And uh, she's just cooking a nice breakfast. He's packing downstairs, and he hugs her, you're the best, and walks out. Sue went down to do laundry, saw the bedroom where he was at. And on the wall, the bedroom we gave him to sleep in were all her mother's china painting plates. You know, great works of art, and it was like a family heirloom and very precious to Sue. And they were all off the wall. And she sees a pile of laundry, and she separates the pile of laundry and at the bottom out all these broken plates. Okay, buddy, you're the best, Sue. Just hug you. You're, God loves you. Isn't it great? The body of Christ, okay? And here's the issue. He covered up all his issues through Christian phrases. So vocabulary doesn't cut it. Third thing we mask over is we... We declare untested emotional healing because we had an encounter with Jesus on a retreat or some counseling session. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't show up. I'm saying what's the measurement that it was real. And people come back and went on a retreat and this is what happened. I, I'm telling you, I'm free from this and I'm free from that, free from this. Uh, you're, in my opinion, I'm, you're just going to know your pastor's pet peeve. I warned you on this. You're not healed until you can serve people. You're not healed until you get along with people. You're not healed until you can work with people in a team capacity. And when you can do that, and the other one, you're not healed until you've got that fortitude not to quit on people. That means whatever happened at that retreat, that counseling session, has some lasting effect because you can now do those things. If you can't do those things, I don't care. I said, Pat, you're off tough. I am. I'm going to build a foundation here. I do not care what happened to you until I see it in that capacity and how you're working. That, to me, is a true sign of emotional healing. Fourth is we avoid community because of title or status in the church. And I got my leader brotherhood here today and my, my, my fraternity of pastors. But listen, sometimes we use status and title, how I am kind of above being in a small group or I'm above being transparent with somebody. I'm above having to submit to some door greeter. I'm above those things. No, you're not. No, I'm not. In fact, the biggest mistake we make in the body of Christ is we think because of a title or a status that I am somehow separated from the people of God. Paul said, know those who labor among you. Everyone say among. among. Not separate from you. Among you and are over you in the Lord. Okay, we are to be among community, serving in community, being a part of community. So Sue and I, right now, we're, we're actually leading two community groups, okay? I'm committed to this thing that I will always be doing something in a community group. Why? Because I'm committed that I'm not above this thing called community. It's a, it's a leadership conviction of mine. But when I do that, I kind of move away, and then the dark side of that leader is unchecked. And all of a sudden, we find that leader in the headlines of the news because they couldn't be in community. Fifth thing we cover over is we trade community for being alone with God and his word. 
You know, I mean, I'm getting revelation and knowledge. I know people study the Bible for hours. But listen to me. I mean, it's great. You've got to learn the word so you can apply the word. But you've got to listen to this. Being a monk will not confront your issues. Boy, I got so much out of the book of Revelation today. Good. Now, how is this going to work with people? Oh, man, I got Ephesians down. Good. How is this going to work with people? You got to go put it to work because it may confront you, but that doesn't mean you have not yet worked through the process yet. Six, we use modern psychology terms to excuse ourselves from being engaged relationally. That guy just sets off triggers in me. Good. Now, a trigger means this. It means there's something there that needs to get healed. I just stay away so I don't get any triggers. Well, that doesn't mean you're healed. That means it's still there. So I like it when the environment triggers me. Now, it's not comfortable. I didn't say that this was going to be a cozy sermon. The trigger's out. It's not healthy. But I got to go to work on it. I remember one time I confronted a college, I mean, a PBC student, and I was right in this one. There were some confrontations I was not right. But in this one, I was. And he went, he went crying on the shoulder of one of the PBC teachers. PBC teacher didn't come to me, but wrote me like a three-page, just scathing letter. And uh, I brought that teacher in, and I don't have problems without bursts of anger. And I had problems without bursts of anger. <laughs> and I chewed him out. And I remember coming home and uh, told Sue... And she said, well, that's what your mother did to you all the time growing up. She would write all these long, hateful letters to you, which is true. And he triggered you. And it's absolutely right. That letter just brought up my past. But see, I will never get healed unless it gets surfaced. So when someone comes, Mom, they're setting off triggers in me. Well, they set off triggers in me, too. Let's work on this together to overcome this thing so we can get healthy and to help him on the triggers he's setting off. Well, the person's not safe. That means this, is that this person has the potential of hurting me. True. I'm not teaching just submit and get pulverized. I do believe that you set rules of engagement. You're not someone's slave. Okay? There's a healthy thing on boundaries. But you're not... You're not unless it's abusive and just so destructive you can't see straight, you're, you're here to forgive, endure, and to bear, and to help them overcome that thing. Good. Don't be a doormat, but don't jump ship on them. There's been many a person who became a good friend of mine that made me miserable for a year or two before they became my good friend. <laughs> it may not be safe. It may be a little bit hurtful. Press through. Now, yes, there's a balance to what I say, and something can be absolutely abusive. The person's out of control. There's somebody who used to be a part of this church, and once in a blue moon, I get this scaling thing on Messenger. I mean, it's like I am the Antichrist, okay? It's out of nowhere. I could be enjoying a game with my wife, and I'm like, you horrible human being, you know, pops up on my phone. You know, I'm thinking, this, this is not real healthy. And, uh, you know, it just it goes on. The person needs some real help. But but the, my issue here is that, yes, it's not safe. People tell me I'm going to leave City Harvest Church because it's not safe. And I always say, you know, that I'm jealous because you get to go and I have to stay. 
And uh, I have to work through this. I have to love the person who's biting me. Okay, but I found people get healthy if I can hang into the game. And I find that I'm, things that get surfaced in me, I can bring them to Jesus to get healed. The seventh thing is this, is that we judge community as self-centered as we pursue to engage the unchurched community around us. And I, I'm all for engaging the unchurched community and managing your time so you can be involved in all sorts of relationships that have nothing to do with City Harvest Church or the Kingdom of God or Christians so that we can win people to Jesus. We absolutely have to. Most people come to Christ through friendship, not street evangelism, through relationship, through conversation, through years of sometimes working with that person to bring them to Christ. You know, there may be a judgment. Christians are just focused on each other, and I'm focused on the world. But let's just take the person you're trying to lead to Christ in the world, and let's say they get saved. Guess what? They then become a part of the Christian community. And then you have to then serve them and put up with them and deal with their carnality and deal with their shortcomings. And you're, you're going to face this one way or another. You can't escape this. And we can't look at the people of God saying, you don't matter, but they matter. Because once they become you, that means they don't matter anymore. Okay? You can understand my logic? Okay, so we, we, have to, we have to commit ourselves to one another to live this thing out. We can't scapegoat this thing. Now... We do these so-called spiritual, you know, spiritual things to avoid the pain of self-discovery that Christian community creates. So I'm challenging you today to do this, to ask yourself a question. Am I avoiding engaging in community because I don't want to face something in myself? Now I avoid sometimes the very people that I love. It's, I'm just going to be truthful with you. I'm kind of an introvert and, and reload it. It's been a busy couple weeks in ministry. It's my day off. I go out in public. I got a hat down past my ears, and I got my jacket hood up, and I'm in the grocery store, my head's down, and I might have headset in, you know. I don't want to be recognized. I'll wear hobo clothes. You know, I, mean, I just kind of, well, of course, I wear clothes like that all the time. You know, I'm just pushing through the, I, if someone's in aisle 13, I'll go to aisle one, and I just, I don't want to engage. And we, we have this sometimes where we just want to detach to regroup. That's why men have man caves. At least everyone wants one, but they don't have one. We, we went walking the other night. It was a warm night. Sue and I went walking in our neighborhood here this last week, and one of my neighbors from the brand-new houses that were built, he's got this beautiful three-car garage, and he's got a, like about a 60-, 70-inch screen, high-definition TV set. He's sitting there in one of those lounge chairs. You go to take the soccer games, and he's playing some video game by himself in the garage. And soon I just watched him from across the street. I said, I said that guy has himself a man cave right there. <laughs> His wife's not there. It's in the garage. It doesn't affect her. Things are blowing up on the screen. And he's just there all by himself. He's just, he's just avoiding community, but he sure is having a great time. <laughs> she goes, why do men do that? I said, honey, they just do. Just trust me. But we do. We, we tend to avoid because we don't want to deal with the things that sometimes close relationships bring up. So let's close this thing. Worship team, come on up here. By talking about taking courageous steps to become like Jesus. Now I'm tying this to becoming like Jesus because I don't think you can become like Jesus and avoid this. This is the workout. This is the diet. This is the prescribed course, the route that we have to take. 
first thing I need to do is I need to surrender where God is, surrender where God has placed me, where God has placed you. You know, the Bible says this, and I love this verse out of 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But as a matter of fact, God has placed each of the members in the body just as he decided. You know, we, we need to ask the question, it's not where I want to be in a local church, but where does God want me to be? Well, God will put, won't, won't put me in a place that's not my favorite place to be. He might. He might. God had Sue and I in a little country church for six years, and we felt like we were supposed to be there. And, then, of course, there was a time we had to leave. But there was great lessons I learned in that place. It wasn't a real healthy place. But, I, but, I, but a lot of ways that I am today is a result of things I learned. Sometimes you learn by good examples. Sometimes you learn by bad examples. But there God was working in my life through that situation. Not that you should just submit to misery. I'm not trying to promote that. But where has God placed me? Who are the people God has connected me with? Who are the people that are my bone-to-bone, joint-to-joint re- relational people that God has brought me together in relationships. I believe that God chooses relationships for us. You are chosen by God in my life for me to commit myself to you. When one of my elders one time was just dumping me about different people in our church. He was just frustrated. This is years ago. And I said, you know what? We didn't choose these people. We inherited them. And we're called to serve them. Jesus said this, Father, I thank you for those you have given me. In John 17. Where has God placed me? I've got to surrender to this thing. The second thing is I've got to embrace the painful process of engaging relationally with other believers. Ephesians chapter 4 says this. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling. Come on, I want to be worthy of what God has entrusted to me. Worthy of the calling with what you have been called. How am I going to live worthy to what he's called me, to be trustworthy with what he's called me to do? With all humility, gentleness. I'm going to put sensitivity there, just sensitivity to people. Patience. I don't give up on people. Bearing with one another. That means putting up with people. Putting up and not quitting on people. Walking with people through what they go through. Bearing one another in love. Making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. It's not natural. You have to go to work on this. I want to commit myself. I want to embrace this process because it's work. And I have to bear. And I have to be patient. I have a prophecy that was given me in 1977. Everything in that prophecy has come to pass. But the one thing the prophecy said is this. Is I, I have been long-suffering with you, Bob. And I'm going to teach you to be long-suffering with others. And I never forgot that prophecy. In other words, you are going to bear long in pain with people. I was 22 at that time, and I never forgot that. The third is this. Commit to being humble and evaluating your spiritual maturity. Commit to it. You may not be humble right now, but commit to becoming humble. What do you mean? Well, look what David said. Look, you desire integrity in the inner man. Ooh, in the inner man. Not just in a surface evaluation of myself, but I I go kind of deep into evaluating myself. So I don't I don't trust my surface self-evaluation. How many people over 50 here, it was an honest confession, you've seen a photograph of yourself as you're growing older, and you, the photograph just kind of shocks you how you really look. Okay, I mean, can I just, you know, it's like, oh my, oh, oh. In other words, we perceive ourselves much younger, 
Or you saw a picture of yourself from 20 years ago, and you go, oh, Jesus, I'm coming to you. Because uh. <laughs> you have a surface evaluation of yourself. Okay, and then all of a sudden the picture shows reality. Now, if I had to search, Lord, search my heart. Show me if there's any anxious way, or any evil way, any selfish way, any arrogant way in me. Reflect on it. Take stock. Listen, listen to the Holy Spirit. The third one is the toughest one. And not, every, not, not everybody passes the mustard on this one. Submit to the observation of others. We had a beach retreat with the staff here a few years back. And in the retreat, we had, were doing a Pat Lincioni thing on the five dysfunctions of a team. And the exercise was that everybody in the group was to evaluate me. I had to start. I was the leader on what I positively brought to our team. And they had to give me input of what I negatively brought to our team. And, of course, I had to go first because I'm the pastor. I have to lead this thing. And so at the beginning, man, I had butterflies. I mean, this is going to be horrible. I'm going to... I'm going to need like inner healing counseling for like a month, you know, after, after these guys butchered me in pieces. But you know, it was the most liberating thing I've ever done. They were straightforward with me. I felt so loved. I felt like I got these five things to work on. I'm not necessarily like conquered them, but I'm, I'm more aware of what I negatively bring to teams from that exercise. And I also am very aware what I positively bring to teams. But some people, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to the input of others. It's too painful. But we're not going to grow any other way. We're not going to grow any other way. So invite the input of others. Notice what Ephesians says. Always giving thanks to God the Father for each other. Isn't it interesting? We're to give thanks for every single person in the church. So take the five people at City Harvest Church that irritate you the most and put it on your Thanksgiving list tomorrow. You might start with gritted teeth, but I'm telling you, you'll start moving forward, giving thanks for them, and submitting, here we go, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I need their input. This is not fun growth, but this is true growth. You pass through this test, and you're on your road to becoming like Christ.